Welcome to the second episode of the Kingdom Patterns Livewire series. In the first episode, let me just remind you, we talked about thripsis, uh, this idea of continued patterns that God uses to transform our thinking in order that we can test and figure out uh, God's mind and God's plan for our lives. So when God gives us vision, uh, I believe it's like a seed, you know, a seed um, doesn't taste like the plant, look like the plants, smell like the plants, uh, but it's got the DNA of the plants in it. And I think there's a problem with that when it comes to vision, because when God gives us vision, he only gives us a seed. So there are two mistakes we make. The first is we take what God has said and we attach it to the nearest thing that we know that looks like that in order to try and figure out, jumpstart, if you like, the vision. So imagine God said to you, you're going to be a healer. You might think, oh, that must mean I'm going to be a doctor. That's God's plan. Well, maybe you're right, but maybe you're very wrong. The second mis mistake we make is that the path we imagine that God's going to use us to take us from our dream to our destiny. So on the screen, we'll put dream to signify the moment God kind of gives us a vision. And at the top, we'll put destiny, you know, when we, we kind of feel that we're, we're living in that vision. I think we believe that God's path looks a bit like this. Two narrow lines going upwards. A narrow, straightforward path from what God's called us to do to living in that reality. I found, however, that that is not true at all. So often we try and take a shortcut. For instance, God says, you're going to be a healer. You think, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. And you figure out, I need to go to medical college to learn how to be a doctor. And we kind of take shortcuts sometime rather than waiting for the process God needs to take us through. I remember a story uh, one day that um, really made me smile because I thought that is so true. It was a story of a barber shop in a little town uh, and it was doing fine. It was like a mom and dad pop kind of barber shop and people would come, local people. And then one day a big um, mega store came to town and they put signs everywhere, $4 haircuts, $4 perms, $4 this, $4 that, everything $4 if you come to our hairdressers. And very quickly, the barber started to go out of business. So with the last amount of money he had, he decided he would hire in a marketing guy to help him figure out what to do. The marketing guy came, looked at his budget, which was very small, and said, okay, trust me, we're going to buy the sign just above your barber shop door. And on that sign, he simply put, we fix $4 haircuts. Genius, because everybody knows what he meant. They, they, it kind of resonated that, you know, things that are cheap and fast are not usually things of quality. This is what King David said. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn over. So I used to go uh, mountain walking in the Lake District in England. And um, if you walk along the lowlands, you have um, kind of a soft walking shoe. 
If you do more than mountainous hill walking, you need a much more sturdy shoe because your ankles will turn over otherwise on the rocky path. I believe what, what David's seeing here, the insight he's getting is that God broadens our path so that we do not stumble. God takes us through a broadening process so that we do not trip up and hurt ourselves. So in reality, let's look at the screen again. We have our dream and we have our destiny. You might think God's going to take you in a straight path, but actually what happens is this. God broadens our path. Let me give you an example from uh, my life. Uh, when I first started work, I worked in retail and I worked for the co-op, which at the time was the largest um, department store in um, Britain. They had stores small and large all over the UK. So my first few months, I was put in every single different department. I got a taste of uh, non-food and food departments. I did everything from selling green grocery, selling bananas and oranges. I worked in a butcher shop. I also sold carpets, I sold cutlery, I sold clothing. And I had this kind of broadening experience. And at a certain point they said, okay, Paul, which of these things would you like to do? And I was able to narrow down to what part of retail management I wanted to be in. The same happened to me when I got involved in ministry. Um, God said to me, I was going to be a missionary. I was going to work with missions. In my mind, I thought that means I need to go to Africa. And not long afterwards, I did a four-month course in Scotland to prepare me to be a missionary. But I'd actually guessed, really, what God was calling me to. In reality, when I got back to Manchester, God broadened my path. I did all sorts of crazy, weird, different things. I would visit the old people in the church. Um, I would sit in really boring meetings about the trust deed and constitution. I would go to incredibly boring uh, church leadership meetings outside of my church to take notes and minutes for my pastor. I did all manner of different things and I never knew why. And one of the problems with this broadening of the path is you start to think, well, maybe I got it wrong and maybe I should be going off in this direction instead or, or this direction. And we kind of see this kind of false pseudo vision ahead of us. We don't understand that actually God's just broadening our path. Eventually, some years after I was involved in ministry, uh, I began to do more and more of the specific things I needed to do. Uh, I wasn't to be a missionary, I was to be a missionary maker. And now suddenly, all those things that God had taken me through made so much sense. I'd visited old people and suddenly I'd realised how to connect with older people, uh, old folks, what they valued. And they were a great resource to us in the early days of Pays. They were a lot of our supporters. Um, working on the trust deed and the constitution, as boring as it was, really helped me understand how to set up an organisation, especially when we began to set up charities all around the world. Going to church leadership meetings helped me understand the mindset of a church pastor when we would approach them with the idea of a pays team. It made so much sense. Nowadays, I'm kind of at the top of the diamond in the sense that I spend most of my time only doing the things that mainly I should be doing. 
So this is what I call the diamond of growth or the diamond of dreams. One last thought before we work on our first workshop is in my life and in our lives, actually there are basically one big diamond made up of lots of little diamonds. There can be lots of times in different roles you play where God takes you through the diamond of growth. Even in my role of pays, there's been several different diamond journeys I've gone on over the last few years as I've led pays. So getting to understand this diamond and how it works, I believe is really vital and helps us understand why God takes us through the process he takes us through. So let's look at our first workshop. As you look at the diamond, can you see where you might be on this diagram? Can you also see where other specific people you lead or disciple may be on this diagram? If so, please discuss how seeing this diagram could help you and how it might help showing this diagram to those you lead. So please take some time, figure out, does this help you? Where would you be on this diagram? Where would other people be that you lead? And how might this diagram help you and them kind of stick to the process that God has you in? Okay, please take 10, 15 minutes and we'll come back and look at a biblical example of the diamond. Well, hopefully that was insightful for you and helpful in many different ways. I always think it's very important that if we have a theory like this, we, we show it how it works uh, from the Bible. And I think the best biblical character to really um, identify a diamond in someone's life is Joseph. So let's look at his story. At 16, Joseph received his dream. So he had a seed, which was great. He had this idea, but very quickly he told people this idea and he kind of intimated that they would just be bowing down to him. Some people think that he told people a dream in order to get them to bow down to him there and then. He was looking for a shortcut. But what happens next is not what he's expecting. A few verses later, he's actually sold into slavery by his brothers. So he seems to be going the wrong way. He thinks God's gonna make him this special person, some superstar, if you like, but actually he becomes a slave. Suddenly his diamond starts to do this and he's probably thinking, what on earth is going on? And then he's bought by Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. So now his diamond seems to be going even further away from the original dream and, and thought that he had. But what's happening is where instead of helping his father manage a few things, he's now put in charge of Pharaoh's household, sorry, Potiphar's household. And what's happening is, is he's doing such a good job that God is prospering him. Then this happens. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and sent to prison. This is getting crazy now. He is so far away from what he imagined. First, his parents and brothers don't bow to him. Secondly, he becomes a slave and now he's put in jail. I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if he thought, I've got this so wrong. Has God left me? But while he's in jail, what happens is he's given responsibility and manages uh, certain aspects of jail life and also he interprets two people's dreams successfully. 
Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. So while he was in jail, he interprets the baker's and the cupbearer's dreams, and he gets them both right. Eventually, because he says to one of them, when your dream comes true, when this interpretation is proven to be real, please mention me to the powers that be. But they forget. So even though he's doing the right things, even though God's using him, he's still in jail. But years later, a long time later, eventually Pharaoh hears about him and Pharaoh summons him and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Then Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of Egypt. So suddenly we see this inversion. Suddenly his diamond starts to narrow again and more and more he's moving towards the thing that God had for him. But bear in mind, he's now 30 years old. This is 14 years after God first spoke to him. But he does a great job and God prospers him. And then finally, Joseph reveals himself and proceeds to save his nation. So what happens is while this is all going on, uh, the, the people of God are really struggling and his family are struggling because there's a terrible famine. So eventually his family turn up to see Pharaoh and actually meet Joseph. And I don't have time to go into all the, the story, but essentially Joseph suddenly goes, it's me. And of course, his family finally bow down to him. But not only do they bow down to him, because of his position, he's able to rescue not only his family, but his entire people from the famine. God uses him in a mighty way. But what's happened during this diamond is in a small way, first with his father, and then with Potiphar, and then in the jail, and then when God gives him his moments with Pharaoh, he's been trained in his natural managerial ability. This guy has gone through these various stages of broadening, and by the time his moment comes, he's ready to take on the nation of Egypt and rescue his people. So we see in this diamond the fact that God helps us with our natural ability, but he also helps us with our supernatural ability. And you see that in Joseph's life as well. According to Holman's Bible Dictionary, dreams were especially important, more so in Joseph's time than they would be seen as now. In fact, people who wanted some kind of divine revelation would go and sleep in a holy place, believing that if they slept and dreamt, it would be a godly dream that they were being given. The, the, the role of a dream interpreter was really important and became, became a very prominent role. Again, according to Holman's Bible Dictionary, there were four grades of um, dream interpretation. Let me go through them with you really quickly. First of all, there were simple message dreams. This was where you had a dream and you could just figure out yourself what it meant. You just dreamt something and you knew immediately what it meant. But then there were simple symbolic dreams. This is where you had a dream that had, it was kind of like um, odd, it had metaphors and images, uh, but you were able to figure out what that probably meant. Thirdly, however, there were complex symbolic dreams. 
So again, metaphors, again, images had to be interpreted. But this time, you as the dreamer couldn't interpret them. You had to go to somebody who was a professional who could interpret them for you. And then finally, the highest level, if you like, of dream was what I call a royal complex dream. This was a dream that was complex, that had metaphor in it. It was the kind of dream that Pharaoh had, but when it was given to somebody in charge, somebody who was a king, somebody who was important, it was seen as a dream, not only for that person, but for all those that they governed as well. And of course, what you see here again, is during this diamond process, Joseph is growing in these dreams. He has his own dream that he can interpret. Um, it says he's a dreamer, that the brothers call him, and there's that dreamer. We think it's referring not simply to the dream he tells them about, but he's probably quite famous for dreaming. So he's probably had dreams that he's interpreted himself. And then he has the one that he interprets and shares with his family. And then he has these uh, interpretations for the, the baker and the cupbearer. These dreams are more complex, filled with metaphor. And then eventually he's given over to the pharaoh, who has a royal complex dream and he interprets that. All the way through, what you're seeing is uh, Joseph being trained in natural ability and supernatural ability through this diamond process. So with this process in our minds, let's look at our workshop. Is there another Bible character whose life seems to follow the diamond journey? And if so, please plot their diamond in the same way I just did for Joseph, including the various referent points and scriptures. So I'd like you to think of a character, draw the diamond and put X's and next to the X's on that diamond, where you think that person is on the diamond, put the scripture reference and then share it with other people in your group. So maybe it's Jesus, or maybe it's one of the disciples, or a different character in the Bible. Kind of plot their life on the diamond. And if you think they're at the very beginning, just put an X and put the scripture that explains that. If you think they're at the top or somewhere else, put a scripture that kind of points to where they are on the diamond, and then share it with other people in your group. Uh, hopefully it'll help you be able to process what this diamond looks like in someone else's life. So we've looked at the pattern, uh, we've looked at a pilgrim that demonstrates um, the pattern. And in the book, I now uh, go through normally uh, various practices depending on where you are in the diamond. So I thoroughly recommend the book to you. Just knowing the pattern is of some help, but the real help I think the book offers is what to do in different places and what you can learn. For the purposes of the live wire, I'm just gonna pick out one of those various practices that I share. So the practice I'm gonna share with you in this live wire for this particular pattern is this. Look for the hints in your history. So I've already explained uh, my situation with the co-op, how I was taken through that kind of diamond-shaped uh, journey. Uh, one of the benefits was when I was 17 years old, um, my job as part of this training process uh, when I left school was to travel around different stores and take them over and be in charge while uh, the manager had gone on holiday or if a manager was sick. So I was a relief manager at 17 years old. 
That's a tough job to do at 17, to turn up this skinny, weedy guy as I was then, uh, with a, a, a blazer, a jacket, three sizes too big for me, and suddenly have to tell people what to do and kind of boss them around and, and show them how to do things. I had people who were really experienced, uh, middle-aged, coming to me, a 17-year-old boy, asking me when they could have their holidays and their vacations. And, and I had all the authority I needed to tell them what they could and what they could not do. The second part of that was, because I was a relief manager, I traveled all over Manchester. Normally every two or three weeks, I'd be sent somewhere else. So that was incredibly helpful for me when I came to start to lead an organization of schools workers. First, because I knew Manchester like the back of my hand and I knew where all the schools were. But secondly, because I was used to setting up teams, leading people. Uh, my background in retail management was, in my opinion, far better than any Bible college could ever have given me. I learned how to work with people. It was Manchester that trained me for ministry. I'm so grateful for that time. It was six years that, to be honest, I didn't enjoy very much. Um, it was six years that... Um, I stuck at something because I knew God wanted me to be there. I gave my best, but I always knew God had something else for me. The fact of the matter is I've worked since I was 12 years old. That's when I got my first job and stopped receiving pocket money from my parents. When I was 12 years old, I had a job working for a carpet company. And my job twice a week was to go out and deliver flyers about the carpet shop to different parts of my city. Then when I was um, 13 or 14 years old, I became a golf caddy. I hated that job. I had to basically um, travel an hour to the golf course every Saturday and Sunday, pull a golf cart around for four hours, and then take an hour back every Saturday and Sunday. So my weekends were pretty much filled up with being a golf caddy. I got one pound, one pound, that's 100 pence, for each day and it cost me 10 pence to buy a Mars bar. So I, I spent half a day working for 90 pence when I was 13 and 14 years old. Then eventually I got a job part-time in the co-op. This was before I went full-time. Every Thursday night, Friday night and Saturday after school and on the weekend, I would work in retail. And sometimes I thought, I know my parents love me, but why are they doing this? I don't really understand. Um, you know, my, my mum absolutely loved me, but it was a bit strange because sometimes she didn't really help me, or so I thought. I remember one day when I was about, I don't know, I'm guessing about 13 or 14 years old, I went into the city centre. I got a bus, went into the city centre for the first time. And being me, I lost my bus money. I don't know how, but I lost my bus money. I had just a little bit left, so I had enough to call my mum and a bit more spare change. So I called my mum and said, mum, I'm lost. I'm in Manchester city centre. I'm not sure where I am exactly. And I've lost my bus fare. And my mum said, okay, Paul, figure it out. And we'll see you when you get home. So I had to figure out what I actually did was I thought, how am I going to do this? So I went into a shop and bought a set of postcards about Manchester that were in a plastic wrapper. And I opened all the wrapper, took out the postcards and sold them on the street separately and made just enough money to get my bus home. When I got home, my mum asked me how I did it. She said, well done. And all these things were a little bit strange uh, for me until in my early 20s when sadly my mum passed away. 
Uh, my mum was, um, uh, she was a nurse and then she went to work in a school as a nurse in the school for a school uh, of uh, children that were mentally and physically disabled. Now, not long after my mum uh, died, I was asked to go with my father into the school uh, for an award ceremony because I was told they were giving out a Doris Gibbs Award. And um, I'm in the assembly and they start to introduce the award and they say, well, obviously everybody's familiar with Doris Gibbs' philosophy on life. And everybody around me went, oh yes, oh yes. And I'm thinking, what philosophy of life? And they held up this award uh, and they said, well, because of uh, Doris's philosophy on life, which is that she meant that she wanted to get everybody to become independent people, not having to rely on anybody else. We're going to give this award every year now to the child that becomes the most independent uh, during the year. And that particular year, they gave it to a young boy, small young boy, who was physically disabled and a little bit mentally disabled, who'd learnt how to go to the toilet all by himself. And he earned the Doris Gibbs Award. And for years later, he gave the award out every year. And suddenly, things started to make sense. Um, I'm quite independent and I'm quite frugal. And I think it's my mum that trained me to do that without me realising she was training me. One last thought. Um, I have um, a, a middle name that for many, many years I hid. Clayton. It sounds a little bit pompous and I don't like it. But just before my mum died, I said to her, Mum, why did you call me Clayton? Why did you give me the name Clayton? And her reply was this. Paul, I wanted you to have a middle name in case you were ever on the stage or you ever wrote a book. History. It's a clue. Let's look at our next workshop. What lies in your history that you have ignored but may hold a clue to the way God wants to shape you for your future? You know, often we're, we're told to put the past in the past and sometimes we have to deal with our history, which I understand, and deal with the baggage from our history, uh, almost in a way to get rid of it. But sometimes I wonder, is that the way we should be approaching our history? even if it's bad, maybe actually we should be looking to our history, knowing that God's in charge of everything that we've gone through and understanding there may be something in that that points to our future. So this is just one of the practices I would suggest uh, for you if you recognise you're going through the diamond. Ask yourself, what lies in my history that may be a clue to the way God is shaping me for my future? And instead of rejecting your history, embrace the parts that God may be using. Well, please spend some time on that workshop. Hopefully it's helpful. Uh, I'd like you at the end of this uh, session to pray for each other and pray that God helps you in this process. God bless you. And I'll speak to you next time for the next Kingdom Pattern.